I'm Siobhan McClay, she, her. And I'm Jen Jackson, she, her. And this is Embodiment for the Rest of Us, a podcast series exploring topics within intersections that exist in fat liberation. In this show, we interview professionals and those with lived experience alike to learn how they are affecting radical change and how we can all make this world a safer place for those living in larger bodies and in marginalized spaces. Captions and content warnings are provided in the show notes for each episode, including specific timestamps, so that you can skip triggering content anytime that feels supportive to you. This podcast is a representation of our co-hosts and guest experiences and may not be reflective of yours. These conversations are not medical advice and are not a substitute for mental health or nutrition support. In addition, the conversations held here are not exhaustive in scope or breadth. These topics, these perspectives are not complete and are always in process. These are just the highlights. Just like posts on social media or any other podcast, this is just a glimpse. We are always interested in any feedback on this process if something needs to be addressed. You can email us at listener, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R, at embodimentfortherestofus.com. And now for today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the final episode of season one of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. Woo! Yay! We did it! Uh, The theme of this first season has been embodiment journeys. It was such a humbling honor to hold space with each other and our incredible guests in witnessing everything that was explored. We are going to answer the remaining questions that we asked our guests for ourselves and share that with you here. Ooh, I'm excited. And Me nervous. Too. And Me just too. Like all the same thing. Yes. <laughs> I would love for us to explore our daily embodiment practices. That was a really beautiful part of these inquiries. What resonates with you, Siobhan, as a daily devotion? to be in harmony with your embodiment. Just pulling from a few guests there, some words that we love. How might it be modified or highlighted to be accessible to many people, as many people as possible as well? I love this question. So hmm, what's coming to mind is I really learned throughout this process that I love the word devotion more than kind of a ritual. Um, When I was trying to have embodiment as a ritual, it felt like something else to tick off my to-do list, led to a lot of pressure to get it done, led to a lot of guilt if it didn't get done. So that's what's sitting for me the most prevalent right now. A daily devotion feels very harmonious. And I think it can be modified or highlighted to be as accessible for as many people as possible in that making it a devotion rather than a daily to-do list makes it less pressured, um, less ritualized, less routine, so that you can define what will help you feel embodied on a regular basis. Mm. How about you, Jen? Ooh, I also love this question. And just hearing you say the words that our guest said to us, I was also thinking about um, awakeness sensations and um presence without pressure felt like the summary of what Ooh. you said Ooh, it gave that. myself a little bit of change mm-hmm. like, um <laughs> and that that felt uh, just sitting there I was and so that was making me think like when do I feel awake when do I mm-hmm. feel present without pressure um for me that's nature anything mm. with nature 
um, mm-hmm. and to be like to use these words also to be in harmony nature with nature or to be devoted to nature just to be in it even mm-hmm. if it's for just a few minutes um, in the process of recording this podcast in 2021 I have realized like first of all as a dietitian I was doing an entire hour with my clients mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, oh, you know, therapists have like the standard 50 minutes. But then I realized just very shortly before we're recording now that like I'm the only one who does that. And no wonder I can't find time for a daily embodiment practice where it does mm. not or devotion. I actually really like the word practice. It reminds me to keep going and that it's just a journey and it doesn't stop. So I, I mm. still I sit with these new words and I still sit with that. Because for me, it reminds me that I want to go practice something. It's like learning an instrument feels like practice. Mm. Like, but this time the instrument is my body mm. um, and being embodied in it, right? Just being with the instrument, even if I'm like, it's kind of out of tune or like, um, however it feels for me. So this mm. space, which I've just started creating with my clients, which is wonderful for my clients also, I think. I think we're really enjoying this, like just knowing the space is there. Um, I find it easier to be more engaged with my body and nature, to be awake in the process of things. Mm. Um, because 10 minutes here or there can really add up first. And um, because I have never in my life, I'm 39. I have never given myself that kind of space. 10 minutes mm. of space. And just the kind of way it's been framed with our guests and even you and I in conversation with each other, Siobhan, that it's like, um, it's okay to have space in between things. It doesn't yes. have to be a big to-do. Mm-hmm. So something um, like how it might be modified or accessible for as many people as possible is that it tends to be something that gets co-opted. Like people talk about self-care, but they mean self-control when it comes to mm. embodiment or body image Absolutely. or body imaging. Um, and I tend to go into that control category, the obligation <laughs> category that you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so no wonder it's so hard to be embodied. It's a lot like meditation. I find it challenging if I'm trying to force myself into a box. I'd mm-hmm. rather be walking and meditating, something you talked about really early on in this season. Yeah. I resonate with that so much, listening to mm-hmm. it again. Like, yes, yes, yes. Like that's <laughs> exactly. I need to be moved. I need to be moving to be moved in those ways Ooh, like to move that. my to move myself I need to be I need to be moving um and I I I thought that for a long time but didn't really connect that to myself I just thought about that about other people um so I was I'm feeling like I'm internalizing things on purpose and I feel like I've been unlearning a bit about that so it feels like part of my embodiment practice is noticing which things I'm I am noticing and practicing and engaging in that aren't really about me or for me. I just think that I should. And what would I like to replace it with? I think mm-hmm. we can all do that. I think we can do that wherever we are. Like, is this actually for me? Yeah. If I designed being embodied, would I be doing any of the things I'm trying to do right now? Like what actually shows up for people? There's no like rubric or what's another word for that? Rubric is such like a teacher word that's stuck in my brain from teaching. But like, there is no exact protocol for how to do it. It's up to yeah. each of us. Mm-hmm. Structure is feels important yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also letting it be as flexible and as aligned with my own rhythm as possible might be things that we could all think about. I'm just sort of still noodling that and thinking about it. <laughs> um, but whatever actually resonates, whatever actually inspires us to do it, even if it's in the middle of something noticing, like, am I embodied or not? And asking ourselves a question, 
Um, something that we really got um, in more than one of these interviews is how people are asking themselves what, how an emotion or a sensation uh, feels like in their body. Um, and sometimes embodiment is just being present and awake to how something shows up without doing anything about it whatsoever, which I think takes away the obligation, like not fixing ourselves because we notice something doesn't feel right, but just noticing. I'm saying that like I have that handled and I absolutely do not. But I, do, I, I, feel, I feel like there's something there's something in that I really want to explore. So that's what's sitting for me. Yeah, about that. I love Thanks that. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. Do you have a daily or almost daily embodiment practice? What do you think or things that you yes. like to do on a regular basis? Yes, so. I do. And this is something that I think is part of eating disorder recovery for me mm. that is rather new to me. I have an incredible trauma-informed therapist who really surprises me with what they can get me to think about that I'm like, that's not accessible for me. <laughs> it surprises me. With, they're like, just try it. Like, it's okay if it's a no, but like, just try it. And one of them that they suggested is to sit with myself when I wake up in the morning where I actually used to feel a lot of anxiety. I mean, I still do, honestly, but like, don't try to fix it. Just sit with it um, and ask myself what I would like to do next. And it mm. turns out something I didn't realize, a reason for a lot of early morning anxiety is I wake up super hungry. Mm. So I have this new daily practice um, I mean, it's weird to say as a dietitian after all this time of being a dietitian, but I never asked myself what I wanted to eat in the morning. But so for example, this morning, this is one of my newer habits is I'm like, what do I want to eat? Um, the answer right now seems to be exclusively quesadillas. Yum, <laughs> like, that's yum. the only answer. But then I'm like, okay. So I started having more quesadilla fixins around. And then I'm asking myself, like, what do I want to add to it? And like, what feels good? And like today I had a quesadilla with, um, Garlic, roasted garlic cloves that I already had squished inside oh there. I'm, oh my gosh. Yes, for breakfast. I like Sounds weird so food. <laughs> weird in a wonderful way. I know they're pretty unique to me, but I like to eat any kind of food that's for any time of day traditionally at breakfast. Um, and I have like a salad <laughs> me too. kit. I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. And I had a salad kit. I was just like, I want a quesadilla and I want a salad. I actually mm -hmm. walked towards my office and my partner was like, what's going on? I was like, I woke up really hungry and this is exactly what I want. So to be able to, and I feel like I can apply that to many things. That's just kind of where I'm starting with. It felt like a really big ask of myself, but I'm really mm -hmm. glad that I'm doing it. So, um, and also right now sitting with not feeling fixed about what I might ask myself in the morning, but it feels important to ask a connecting question because I just like questions. Mm. That's kind of where I'm sitting with that. How about you? I love that. Oh, that's that's great. So let's see, not daily, almost daily. I was thinking about this because you know I carry a paper planner around. I'm pulling it up right now, and I wrote down what I would like to do daily. Let's see if I actually do these. So I wrote down: meditate, drink a gallon of water, practice movement, have good dental hygiene, so brush my teeth twice a day, floss once a day, journal, and read my tarot cards. I don't do any of those daily at all. <laughs> Um, how have we not talked about reading tarot cards so right now in this episode i'm telling you that we need to talk about that outside this episode oh, oh my gosh i was gonna say we do this all the time how did i not know this so <laughs> because we've known each other for like four minutes but i feel like i've known you for like 40 years i'm not even exactly. 40 and i feel that way <laughs> wow, same. so yeah i um i got these cards a while ago and this year just started doing that as part of my um, embodiment practice. And it's been really great. It feels really great to kind of center myself, 
ask, you know, my ancestors, my spirit guides, um, guardians, what do I need to learn today? So I'm very new at it, but that's been really fun for me. Also, not a daily practice. Anyway, what do I do daily? I I am honing in on movement. So I I was really active um, for a while and then slowed down, which I'll talk about in terms of the pandemic later. But so lately I've been moving as much as feels comfortable for me instead of pushing myself to move. I am, my therapist has really encouraged me to meditate more. So I've been doing that a lot more. Um, I meditate with my kids now, which is hilarious and terrible. So they are, again, uh, 17 months and whatever, almost three is. So he's 31 months. Um, And so we have our timer that goes off for a minute. And it's like this the kids now, the boys think now that when the bell goes off, it means like, let's, let's do all the things to get our parents to start laughing. So we're going to start climbing and we're screaming and we're throwing. But my husband and I at least sit in silence for a minute while they're just like wreaking havoc while our eyes are closed. But at least we're trying to teach that to them. <laughs> it's really fun. It is not, it is not calming for anybody, but it's still really fun. I also have been meditating on a daily basis, almost daily, which has been huge for me. So those are the things I try to do the most daily. I feel like for me, pulling those, like this list of things I wanted to check off on a daily basis, I don't do that as much anymore because it was too much pressure and too much stress. But on a daily basis, I will sit in silence and try to hear something or like glean something that I need to know for the day. Mm. And moving has been really fun too. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I loved all of that so much. And I'm, I had a thought in there and I'm trying to see if I can pull it back from, you know, my brain fast forwards and I have to rewind it. Let me see. Right. <laughs> um, uh, oh, and in uh, meditating with your kids, which actually sounds really incredible that whatever shows up in that space is what shows up. If it's like trying yeah. to make you laugh, like I love yeah. to meditate while trying to laugh. Yeah. Um, my oldest nibbling, who's like four and a half years old, um she has loved yoga my sister loves yoga so she's loved yoga for a long time like even we just talked on the phone or on facetime the other day and she said oh auntie jen um tree pose you take one leg and you stick it up against the other leg and then you're a tree and she was just so excited um the power of little ones little humans to break something up into its simplest parts and like just notice those things so i find kids to be very like meditative i just thought that was very very cool they help us notice little things including like the way we normally say words in a sentence and how maybe Mm -hmm. when we're learning to put sentences together we might put them in any order we want (laughs) and like (laughs) just noticing these different things um feels really powerful so I got a lot out of what you said um I love that it how meditation can be not traditional yeah And what I mean by that is that there is no one right way to do it. I don't care who says that there is. I don't Mm -hmm. care if the originator of meditation itself, it would not be, it's not right. (laughs) Um, There is no one right way. There Mm -hmm. isn't. Um, And it feels really expansive to sit in that space. And I feel really embodied sitting in that space. So I was was loving it. Yay, I love it. I love it. Uh, Let's talk about the pandemic. Um, Thinking about the realities of the current moment in history and as a human being, how has being in this pandemic affected your embodiment practices? Alternatively, when are you feeling most embodied? Ooh, 
I love this question. I'm going to say that every time, just like you are probably going to say this every time. I love that question. I love these Well, you questions. wrote them. You should love them. They're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Do I write us a little script to help us keep track because I'll go all over the place. So yes, I love this it's question that I wrote well. earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I love this question I wrote earlier today. Um, <laughs> I love that. There's... Um, I actually feel more embodied in the pandemic than I did before. Um, considering as, uh, really early on in the pandemic, a lot of my friends who are dietitians got COVID and were in the hospital. Um, and it happened all at once. Like everyone I know all over the country, it felt like, like it was just like they were very vulnerable. And um, I had like, it would be what would be the third month of the pandemic or so was really hard to like notice anything inside or around my body. No interoception, no proprioception. I always say that word wrong. Proprioception. Like noticing how it feels to be a body in the world. I really didn't have access to that because I was busy worrying about how everyone was doing. And there was a lot of silence at that time. I couldn't really find out what was happening with anyone until uh, days, weeks, sometimes more than a month. Um, and it was just a hard set of sensations to sit in. And they were often ones that I ignore. I'm like, oh, I'll just shove that down. No, 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 thank you. Anger, no, thank you. Really strong feelings of mortality. Like, no, no, thank you to all these things. And like, because yeah. you guys can't, because all of you listening can't see us, I want you to know that I'm like showing myself, like shoving them back down into myself. Um, <laughs> and it was really, just really hard. Um, and it took a long time for me to come out of that. And I didn't want to live the pandemic that way um mm -hmm. it kind of like brought about some really clarifying moments um to not have any kind of embodiment for a little bit of time made me realize how I already have a lot of it because it was just like mm -hmm. gone um mm -hmm. and how could I do that while supporting other people which is my job in health and nutrition and just like holding mm -hmm. space with each other with things that are really tough um it's what led to my ADHD diagnosis, also my diabetes diagnosis, because I was sitting in my body going, something isn't right here. What's going on? I feel really anxious all the time, actually, not just that one month. Um, and sitting in a place of, um, I don't want to continue in this way. Um, it feels like things are much more important than um, keeping myself busy all the time. I'd like more space in my life. These kinds of thought processes and revelations. My partner is also very much like a way more patient than myself um, about me, <laughs> very specifically about me. Um, and, and he's all in a stage of life of wanting to relax more and have more space. And so I just leaned into that with him. And in that space, um, I've realized like I need to fidget when I'm talking to clients. It's how I stay present. It's how I stayed embodied. Being active in my body is how I stay most embodied. Mm -hmm. um, smaller movements, right? Messing with something with my hands or tapping my foot or, or, or doing some other kind of somatic um, tapping, anything like that, um, helps me stay present and engaging with my body as like the way in which I can be embodied, which sounds like it just like that is just the only way to make sense. Using my body to be embodied feels like what makes sense. But the non-dualism of mind and body is something that I didn't really get for myself, even though I've been talking about it for a very long time, like really for myself until the pandemic. I'm like, wait, my mm -hmm. mind is my body and my body is my mind. So it's 
I have to be connected with my body to have these conversations with my mind about my body, like this kind of loop that's like always yeah. there. Um, and so it feels, it feels really strange to stay in a pandemic. And I, this is a lot because of my privileges that I have and identities that I have, um, even in their intersections and even with the things that are difficult that I could find space in a pandemic feels like a really big compilation of my privileges. So I'm feeling really grateful for that, but also acknowledging that. Um, and in terms of when I feel most embodied, um, it's probably gonna be nature again, very specifically mm. when the sun is on my skin, feeling the way that only the sun can warm up our skins. I've never really tried a sun lamp because I haven't had to before. Um, I've been around them though, actually, but I haven't used them to like lay and warm my skin, lay down and warm my skin. Um, but there's just something really connecting about that. And I'm a person who gets hot really easily. I sweat when I'm <laughs> nervous. Like I don't generally like to be warm. So I find that like, there's something in that for me that it is a warm thing that makes me feel most embodied. So that's kind of where I'm sitting with those. And hopefully I made sense because I really went deep into my body to ask myself that question. I was like, I wonder what I'm sounding like out loud right now. You sound <laughs> great. And I love that you, you practice embodiment to answer this question about embodiment. I really love that. No, I think that's oh, great. Thank you. Okay. I, I love that. I love that. And I love that. I mean, obviously the pandemic is terrible, clearly. Um, but it gave you a chance to slow down enough to have that conversation between mind and body to recognize what you needed, what you had. I think that's, it's such a gift. And you're right. It is a privilege that you've had the opportunity to recognize that for yourself. But I'm also really glad that you have that privilege to do so. Thank you. Me too. And that feels important to making it accessible for other people mm -hmm. to leverage that kind of privilege. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. No idea in my head right now, specifically like how I might do that, but just feeling yes. the possibility of that, I think is what mm -hmm. I'm going to say. Well, how about you, Siobhan? Oh, no, I love this question that you wrote. <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot because obviously we are living in the midst of a global pandemic, so you can't help but think about it on a regular basis. So um, uh, at least when the pandemic started for me, obviously it was going on earlier <laughs> than it kind of hit home for me because I think New Mexico we didn't we didn't know exactly what was going on as fast as other places maybe because we're more we're more of a rural state I think um, but when it hit for me I was seven months pregnant and with my second and so I wasn't feeling super embodied anyway because I was super uncomfortable and um, that kid was living on my bladder already <laughs> so it just wasn't wasn't feeling very within my body so the pandemic hit in that way. Um, I also agree that I've never felt so embodied in my, or so embodied until the pandemic. I don't know if that's hmm, a life stage thing, a pandemic thing. Um, I'm not sure, honestly, I've been sitting with that. Like if we hadn't entered a global pandemic, um, would I still be in the same place that I am now? I don't know. I don't think anybody can know that. It's just an interesting question. Beautiful question. Yeah, yeah. One thing that did happen for me and my family is that we got COVID in August of this year. I'm going to say it. And if you don't want to listen to our podcast, I don't care. Please get fucking vaccinated and wear your masks inside, outside, wear your masks. Both. Both. It is infuriating that 
there are people who still believe that they don't have to do this and people are dying and people like my tiny children can't get vaccinated and that's horrifying, but you're okay with putting them at risk. My family and I got COVID. Um, and fortunately, you know, we rallied really well from it. And by family, I mean, my husband and my two sons, you know, my, my itty bitties, my, my kids rallied super well. And that's such a gift. Um, my husband and I did too, because we were vaccinated. <laughs> I truly think that if we hadn't been, one of us would have ended up in the hospital. And, um, that made me think about a lot about, um, weight stigma and how people are treated in healthcare with medical fat phobia and that we live in fat bodies. And my fear was that one of us put it up there and we'd end up dying because we weren't being taken seriously. Mm -hmm. So that has played a lot into my embodiment of being a person who talks a lot about this and it coming home to me in a different way. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so we all got COVID and that has changed my relationship with food. I started this podcast saying that I'm a vegan and I'm definitely not. Um, I made a decision to start letting myself have, I don't think it was an orthorexia thing, but I also realized that I was having a harder time with my relationship with food when there were certain things that I wasn't eating. Um, So giving myself permission to just eat whatever feels good for me. Sometimes that's cheese, even though it's not going to sit well. Sometimes it's not. I feel like I'm babbling, but um, my relationship not with my all. body, <laughs> my relationship with my body really changed in that I had a pretty successful, I guess, for lack of a better term, experience with COVID, but I still get short of breath. I'm still tired. I, you know, um, it's harder to kind of get up and go or to get up and keep going. So that made me have a lot more, have to have a lot more patience with my body, had to have more of a conversation with my body. Like, what can you do right now? Which helped me embrace yoga because I feel like yoga is something that helps me listen to my body and only do so much. I'm not going to push too hard and it embraces, it embraces me where I am. And that's the kind of yoga that I am able to do right now. Also walking, has always been something that I've really loved after hurting myself when I used to run. And that's been really hard. So trying to find my way back with that. So having more of a conversation, like you said, with my body, between mm. body and mind, it's also changed my friendships. Um, and that there, you know, it helps you realize who you want, who you want to, what relationships you want to put the effort into to nurture, because we feel like we don't have the same availability. Anyway, all of that to say, when do I feel most embodied? I feel most embodied when I'm talking about doing listening to this podcast honestly I feel most embodied when I'm slowing down enough to listen to myself which the pandemic has definitely taught me to do um I feel a lot more aware of my body because we don't get to leave the house as often and when I do I'm very aware of what's going in within my body with you know outside of my body keeping myself safe um being outside I love the sun. I, I mean, I love New Mexico. There's nothing like seeing the sun come up or go down in New Mexico. And so being outside and being able to embrace that is really incredible for me. Mm. So being outside, um, doing things with my hands, <laughs> you know, you hear a lot of people who started baking. I was one of those people. There's something that feels very good about doing something tangible with a quick, you know, a quick outcome And then it's something that I can give to people because I bake more than we can eat because I just want to bake every single day. So I'm just handing out loaves of bread and cakes and all kinds of shit all the time. So I feel really embodied when I'm creating, which has been something I've never been able to say until this year. 
and enjoying nature and just being present with my kids. Like you said, they're really grounded. Uh, they're, they're not, I don't want to say they're grounded, they're grounding because their needs are very immediate. Like I need animal crackers, I pooped, you know, all of these things are very immediate needs. And that helps me stay grounded and feel really embodied and taking care of them and spending time with them and just playing and reading. And yeah, that's kind of where I am. It felt very um, connected, the thread that I was hearing and what you were yeah. saying, particularly when you said um, embodiment was, those weren't your exact words. This is just me trying to say it again. And it's going to be a little different, but embodiment is coming home to yourself. And then you mm-hmm. then went and described what coming home to yourself looks like and like how you mm-hmm. get there. That's what I was hearing in that. And mm-hmm. you also said slowing down enough to listen to yourself. I would think that that's pretty universal, that that's an yeah. opportunity of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying that alongside also realizing that increased anxious feelings and sensations can feel like um, the only way to cope when we have to be at home and we don't have access yes. throughout this mm-hmm. pandemic to things we normally do. I'm just also sitting with um, how hard it feels to want to go to the open space um, next to the mountains in Albuquerque and have to consider what time of day it is so that I'm not yes. around people who aren't wearing masks so that I can mm-hmm. actually enjoy where I am and have it not be another anxious experience so I can have some Correct. relief. Mm-hmm. Um, like navigating I actually saw a TikTok yesterday that was like when I'm home I like look out into the world and I'm like I love people and then I go out in the world and I'm like I fucking hate people yep. and <laughs> like being it feels good to be really honest about that because that's that mm-hmm. I feel the difference between those two spaces so much more viscerally now I feel it in my body that mm-hmm. the difference of being home and observing and the and the difference of going out and trying to explore where it does not feel wholly comfortable. When you were also mm-hmm. talking about immediate needs um, with your children, that being in a space, like, that very much feels front and center in a pandemic, immediate needs. Mm-hmm. Um, as a collective, we've had to shift very quickly. We mm-hmm. all need to stay home. I, I guess yes. it, it turns into many... Um, mushy kind of like overlapping areas when we all don't do the same thing for the collective but just thinking about um being like a collective I actually feel really embodied with like-minded people I feel really Mm. you're talking about friendships earlier like even on a professional level I have found that I've really sought out training like you and I are doing together that actually Mm -hmm. matches the growth that I would like to have and includes voices um where we can grow together Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. have it be a shared experience while we're locking down if that's what your yes. country or place is doing while it's opening up but we still have to wear masks indoors where it's like mm-hmm. everything seems to be getting better oh there's a delta variant let's close down again are yeah. we not going to be able to get what we need grocery wise for a month again because people are going to start buying a lot of it because they're scared understand mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and also in traveling in the pandemic which i've only i've only done in a car Um, because that's where I felt that it was okay Um, but still going through different states where things are totally different compared to New Mexico makes me feel super grateful for New Mexico yes yes love New Mexico (laughs) thank you um, (laughs) (laughs) seriously and it's also there's like there's also a very special community mindedness to New Mexico even if it feels contentious that is just I don't experience anywhere else I really honed in on that New Mexico feels like I feel home at home in my body and New Mexico feels like home to me in a different way. 
So being mm. able to feel at home while at home, like this double layer of that, um, yeah. it's been really important to me. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's mm-hmm. something about that that's really lovely. Even with all the tension that what I just said holds, it just yeah. feels like really lovely. So I got a lot of what you said, like a lot, a lot. Um, and I'm curious when you feel most embodied from that, of the things that you were describing, what feels like the most embodied? It's a hard question. Um, I feel really embodied in this conversation, which is really nice, but that's Me not too. the most embodied. Super I just need to say that out loud. Yeah, like super tuned in right now. So I think... Yeah, meditating has been really good for me, moving my body in a way that feels joyful and functional, Um, because I have to give my body a lot of gratitude for keeping me alive during a a fucking pandemic, even if it's not moving the way it used to, it's moving. Um, Yeah, sunshine, uh, air on my body. Yeah, Yeah, being away from the screen has been huge for me, and getting outside, I would say, is the most important. Ah, and you're reminding me of, I take daily walks with my mom. Mm. um well not every day because I don't always wake up wanting to go on a walk um she does I don't I'm like oh Mm -hmm. text oh thank you (laughs) (laughs) we started in the open space that I was mentioning earlier this area that's just protected space right next to the mountains where it's like Mm. flatter trails um that when that felt less comfortable, like we would literally go up into the mountains to avoid people sometimes. Like, I don't always want to be running towards cactus. Mm. I always want to be doing that. Uh, we walked in our neighborhood. All the, My parents live across the street from me. So we walked in our neighborhood. And I'm just realizing it's not just sun. I just, I'm so much more embodied when I'm moving. Like no matter yes. how slow mm-hmm. the walk is, mm-hmm. um, no matter what we stop to talk about or look at or whatever, it's still, it's still there for me. Um, But we've been just getting to know our neighborhood. So my parents have owned this house since the very late 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, And like just exploring it as it is now. We found a fig tree with figs that we picked and (gasps) ate at one point. All the the cats in the neighborhood. We've we've named them. We've learned some of their names from their owners. But like just like, (laughs) and we started painting rocks and putting them like at the houses of um, the people who have the cats, like whatever name we'd come up with for them. Um, if someone did that, like in the pandemic, there was like, put a teddy bear in your window to let kids know it's safe when they couldn't go to school at first. Mm. A bunch of people in my neighborhood did that. And then it was paint rocks and leave them around. It was a way to be connected without ever being in the same air together Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time. Um, and also just like, oh, let's explore houses that are for sale. Let's like just see how yes. this house is being built. Like watching things um, develop as they're happening, like less milestones, not more, more noticing, less expecting, like feels like what walking brings. And so mm. like really exploring the neighborhood really gave me an appreciation for how wonderful the neighborhood is and how much I really, really like it. Mm. and also as the seasons change which parts of it I am really like feel like I want to be near and those kinds of things like just kind of an evolution of being in a neighborhood it feels uh, and also which boundaries I'd like I would like to never go on this street again that had a Trump sign on every house I would never like to go on this street again like any kind of like thing like that just being present um so thank you for your reflection because I'm sitting here feeling really embodied and also finding my definition of my own embodiment expanding as yeah. I was listening to you, which yeah, is very, yeah. very cool. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Mm-hmm. That's funny. It makes me think of 
something something that a friend of mine, hi Kimberly, because she listens to this. Hi Kimberly. She came over in a safe way a few weeks ago and helped me declutter my garage because she's amazing. But um oh, she's amazing. She was, I know. Yeah, she's uh I mean, it was, it was magical. Um, she's magical in a lot of ways, but um, she listens to this podcast and she's like, I have been sitting with, like, can you define embodiment? I was like, hmm, I, I don't know what you mean. And she said, because everyone has a different, a different definition of it. And I've really been sitting with that since she asked me that. I think that, I don't know if I have an answer. I think we can in some ways, but I also think that it, maybe you can, and you can define embodiment, but everyone has a different definition of embodiment. Does that make sense? Like you have a, you can yeah. define it, but everyone has a different embodiment of embodiment. I don't know. Just something you just said made me think of that though. But I love that our definition has expanded and contracted as we've been doing this podcast together. I really yes. Do. And, and um, I didn't realize when we started this, that it would be an invitation to not just like use my cognitive side of my brain to think about embodiment, which is really the level that I was at at the beginning, mm -hmm. but I can mm -hmm. feel my way through this process and see yes. how embodied I am during the conversation itself, mm -hmm. which can feel really sticky and on the edges of my comfort at times and sometimes really anxious, which just makes other sticky things stick to it. Like it can get really like intense in that way. Yeah. Um, but it all, it, not but, and it always feels uh, important to be inside mm -hmm. of this conversation. I feel like I carry this podcast around with me outside of the time. I mean, you and I are always talking. And <laughs> yeah. um, I also just like feel things shift in me that I don't even have words for yet. I just like feel the sensations change or I feel myself relax. Mm -hmm. um, I feel my instincts becoming a little sharper mm -hmm. um, and not so hijacked by my emotions about my body and responsive to the world around me and its stigmas and biases and harm and traumas and all of those things. Um, and it feels like something I was noticing earlier is I'm always like, oh, I was really surprised in this process, like how much I got out of it. That's just how I tend to conclude and think about things is I'm like, let's talk about all the things I got. I'm so excited. Like I just talk about that aspect. <laughs> But I'm really finding that I'm discovering in myself that there's more to explore about like what still feels elusive. I have trouble yes. defining that for myself. Um, what feels like a barrier to me, which may be hidden, right? Privileges can hide things. Identities can mm -hmm. hide things. Oppression and marginalization can hide things for me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And also like language that I have not yet explored or given myself or discovered, however it's going to come to me. Um, that may give me more access to that is a really interesting place to sit that it doesn't feel concluded by any means. Like, yeah. I feel like I may never conclude this conversation because it's so interesting and I don't want to. And um, that there's enough to discover about that. Like within yeah. myself is a really yeah. cool thing. Um, and I want to witness it in other people whatever they'd like to share with me, mm -hmm. the transparency on the, in the gifts that we were given and transparency with our guests this season and with each other makes me want to lean yeah. towards transparency. I used to never disclose anything going on with me health-wise to anyone, especially mm -hmm. if a client could hear it. It felt mm -hmm. like, I don't know why, but it felt like it wasn't ethically okay, but that's because I had an idea that I was supposed to have a certain persona that would make them want to come towards me. And that I should make sure that I maintain that so it doesn't seem unsafe over here. But I've completely mm. changed how I think about this. 
there's something really safe in disclosure in boundary yes. disclosure, perhaps like transparency mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. like a violent kind of honesty. It's really authentic. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels good to sit in an authentic space. Why would I ever want it to end? It just feels even, even when it doesn't feel quote unquote good, right. It feels like something worth being present to. Even Absolutely. if it's hard. Absolutely. I was really sitting with that too. I'm feeling really emotional sitting here in a good way. Yeah. Like, 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 um, the idea that we may never come to an answer, but I just love this process of, of seeking this answer or going, moving toward and away and toward, toward and yeah. away. It's just, it's really a, a really big gift. Yeah. Yes. And it feels really important. And we've talked about this before, you and I, Siobhan, that it's important that this is a conversation. Yeah. There are questions. There's an inquiry, but what I have really found in this process is that it really is just a conversation. We're just yes. inviting it. Um, giving ourselves some kind of structure. We're just inviting this conversation. And I love talking and listening. Me too. Me too. You know, at the beginning, I was like, I like to listen. That might be surprising. But it turns out when you listen to yourself on a podcast, it's not so surprising because you can really <laughs> notice yourself listening. Um, and that, and, and like, it's, yeah, it's just really special. It really is. I want to <laughs> hug you. I want to hug you too. Yeah. We're air hugging on Zoom right now. Yeah. This is yeah. oh, this is such a good. I love this whole process so much. Mm. <laughs> so, of course, in asking what felt like small questions and like a baby inquiry, and how should we start? We asked really big questions. Um, and I'm sitting, I'm sitting with some of them together right now. So I'm going to try to like say them at once and we'll see how this feels. They feel super connected to me. These, these different things. Um, one of them, Siobhan, is how do you support someone's goal of managing their health without veering into healthism? Um, which if I was to maybe elucidate that, go into the details of that a little further, how do you navigate the biases and stigmas inherent in your education and continuing education and supervised practice and all those places, um, as well as the power dynamics of letters, right? The letters after someone's name when they mm-hmm. get credentialed, also mm-hmm. known as credentialism. And what are ways in which conversations about embodiment miss the mark by letting systems, those in power, and those with these letters we just talked about off the hook. First of all, how does it feel to ask them together? Holy shit, it feels great. And it also feels like, uh, where do I start? That's that's massive. Um, I'm a social worker uh, by education. I've got my master's degree. I did a bunch of supervision and training after that to be a licensed clinical social worker. And some other letters behind my name. So I'll start with the power dynamics. There's definitely a power dynamic when you enter the setting with people who have lived experience or clients who are seeking some support, even people in your life, right, who you're interacting with but don't have the same kind of credentials as you. There's a power dynamic. There's this, um, and I'm the same way. If I go to a you know appointment with the doctor or whatever, there's this expectation that they know more than you or they know what's right. Um, so there's, there's a bias in both directions, I think on that, um, on that front. So navigating the bias, I would say, I like to name what's in a room as much as possible. Um, I have this degree, I have this education, but you're the expert in your life. I tell my clients that almost every time I start with someone, you are the expert. I'm here 
to be your advocate, to kind of walk this journey with you, um, to be your biggest hype girl, but also, you know, be lovingly accountable, help you lovingly accountable. So I think that's a big one. Um, but I also think that conversations about embodiment miss the mark by letting systems, those empowered skills with credentials off the hook, because there's this inherent belief that we know all the answers and we don't. Those, you know, systems are created because we're a, a species that categorizes. That's just what we do by nature. Um, so we can create these systems to navigate the world that are inherently oppressive, that are inherently divisive. And it's hard to have conversations about embodiment if, you know, it's kind of set in stone for the most part on how people are supposed to interact with the world, how people are supposed to exist in this world. That lets us off the hook because there's <laughs> Jim snapping on video. Um, <laughs> those of us not just me other people off the hook because that's the way it's always been right so we don't need to fix anything we don't need to learn anything if you are trying to learn you're radical or you're rocking the boat and there's it's this idea of in biology homeostasis that is and I tell my clients this all the time when you're changing the people around you will try to push you to change back the other way if they're not willing to change with you and so that's what the systems are doing they're continuously pushing you back into this into this box in my opinion how do I support someone's goal of managing their health without veering into healthism? Oh, I love this question. I hate this question because I have no idea what my answer is because it's like, how much time do you got? But um, I think I support <laughs> someone's goal. I support someone's goal of managing their health. Um, I think the first question is, what does health mean to you, right? Um, is that something, where did you get these ideas from? Who, who helped you? What helped you learn what health looks like? And what does it look like if you don't meet that goal? Um, if health, you know, because health is used in ways that isn't always true, you know, like health and so I just want to be healthy is another, you know, another big term for I want to lose weight, right? Um, but like, is real health your goal? And if you can't meet that, what does that mean for you? Does that, does that lower your value as a person? No. So like, let's see what your version of health can look like without health being the most important thing in your, in your development, I guess, or in your, in your life. I feel like, I'm, I feel like that's my answer for now, but I really want to hear what you say. <laughs> that was off that probably. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was so good. I was like, furiously taking notes. <laughs> Why is that a phrase? I wasn't, I wasn't furious. I was very quickly Just taking angry. notes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and really relating to, to what you were saying, I find that these questions even in asking other people feel really really sticky edgy spiky to my mind mm. because I'm very keenly aware that I have not fully unlearned the parts of these questions that I've combined here that unknowing to me right where I haven't yet noticed that I'm causing harm um, as I was listening to you what I was sitting with is the phrase do no harm is mm. bullshit mm -hmm. you cannot not do harm. You're a human being. Um, we do harm. We harm each other. Mm -hmm. We don't notice things. We have really quick working brains and mouths. And we like to, we're taught to be in action and not be. And like everything is really fast and sped up. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're going to make mistakes. Of course, we're going to do harm. The real important thing to me, which I've already been kind of honing in on, but is really sitting with me in this particular conversation, 
is restorative nature of repairing with each other. Um, there's something um, that is, so as a dietitian, and I was thinking also as a social worker, there is something in our education and also what becomes expectations of us as providers in these realms um, is that we should become an every person for someone. Mm -hmm. um, like, because I know about nutrition in the body that I can help with anything that might possibly come up. Um, every intersection, right? So it's like both, like, I want to make sure that I humbly get that I don't know everything, like for myself. Yeah. And also that my clients get, or anyone who might listen to this podcast, anyone might get, um, that they also don't have to be an every person. People who come to see me don't have to become a dietitian by the time that we're done working together, whenever that mm. is. In fact, that's un totally unrealistic and really not possible. Um, they don't have to become a social worker when they come to meet mm -hmm. with you. And I think it's important that that's not true because I have so much to unlearn, even in my current unlearning, I have so much to unlearn. I probably don't even fathom what I'm going to end up unlearning. Um, that it would be really harmful to expect them to be every person and for me to be every person. That's like, that, that's that kind of magical thinking. That's the kind of like magical pill even or magical person or whatever that is, where it's like the fantasy of, um, I would like this to be the answer. The one yes. answer is really similar to what you were saying um, about being the expert of something. Like I am not mm -hmm. an expert in another person's life. It's also like thinking about language. There's a term that's used in dietetics that's um, cultural competence, mm -hmm. which sometimes gets changed to cultural humility. Um, but it's still primarily cultural competence, even if like some of the ethics language is changing, it's still how people talk about it. Um, I have an aging profession and they learned this a long time ago. So they talk about this cultural competence a lot, but you can't be competent in another person's culture. You can only mm -hmm. like, unless you become part of that culture and then it would take a really long time. It reminds me of the joke that people who come to New York think they're New Yorkers after one year, they get like really snobby. Um, <laughs> They're like, oh, tourists, right? They all get this kind of attitude, but they've only, they've been there for like no time. Like we really tend to take on identities. You were talking about categorizing. We tend to mm -hmm. like take on these identities when we go to a new place, but they're yeah. not ours. We don't know very much about them. Like it's mm -hmm. just surface level stuff that we kind of take on. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was also thinking that to like, for there to be an expert, for us to be expected to be that, like the credentials. Uh, also very specifically, the last part of these questions, like being let off the hook, yeah. um, do no harm makes it seem like that we get to be superior to people who hire us to have them as clients mm. um, and patients um, because we're the experts. So how could we do wrong? I find that there's a lot of like, um, confusion cloaking of things inside of that language mm -hmm. pretty nefarious it's, mm -hmm. it can be really hard to get through and so I think thinking in not the opposite it's like anti-diet or non-diet my brain doesn't work with anti-diet because I'm mm. not anti-dieting um I know that it can work sometimes but that's part of the problem even the language of diets don't work I'm like but sometimes they do and that's actually the problem it's right. not that they don't ever work. Correct. No one would do Correct. that if they never work. Mm -hmm. um, but like anti-diet or non-diet, which I'm not like a 
real stickler for this particular like distinction, but what resonates with me um, is non-diet because I just know that I'm not doing that. I'm not mm. against, like, I don't feel like I'm over here going, how can I get them? How can I be like, I'm not in like this constant antagonist battle with them where we're just like against mm-hmm. each other. Um, whoever them is, whoever that is, that kind of space. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think about it over there that often, except when my clients bring it up and I'm just finding compassion for the space that they're mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I would hope that our shared space together can be looking towards non-diet, even if we have to talk about diets to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also there's not a lot of crosstalk, even among dietitians in different areas, like people who work in this came up in a group that Siobhan and I are in, like people who get bariatric surgery are not talking to people in the eating disorder area of the field. Like they're two different worlds, but it's the same people can be in that conversation Mm -hmm. and no one's really talking. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of sitting with that too. Um, Another way of thinking about intersections perhaps, or even the phrase like multidisciplinary, but it's, but it's also like within the same discipline, there's still a complete lack of conversation because there's like, I'm the expert. Why do I have to talk to my peers? Why do I have to get supervision? I'm the expert. Mm-hmm. It's right. just a really dangerous way of thinking, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in thinking about healthism and, and um, someone managing health goals, the, I really sit with one thing really specifically. This like always comes up for me is that the word health is treated like a moral judgment at almost every yes. turn, even like whatever's mm. internalized in us, what we've been conditioned with, who does the conditioning, what they benefit from having conditioned us. It's all about morals. And I, I'm going to get the language not right now, but thinking about the way in research that words have been replaced with each other and the final one being health, it started with racist connotations. And I'm trying, mm. it's like, but now who is healthy aligns with who is white, who are the people doing yeah. the research and in positions of power, right? They have a lot mm. of financial privilege to be able to do this. Um, and so the word health is like inherent in that are many layers of yes. like the word motivation, which is a moral judgment, lazy, which is a moral judgment, right? They just mm-hmm. all kind of lump together. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I sometimes reframe this as if we were to consider healing over health, what would change about this conversation for you? Mm -hmm. What do you want to heal? Um, Is it something in your body? Is it like a big concept? Is it like confusion? Like what comes up in the word healing for you? Also non-dualism. Our body's quote unquote health is not distinct from our mental health and mental health is left out of my training. For example, I've had to learn Mm -hmm. it all after uh, my formal education. Um, the overlap between those two things because they're always connected. It just, it feels like like embodiment. It feels like a never ending exploration is possible mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, and people need to be able to have agency and autonomy to have these conversations. Um, and it's really hard to do it, talking to someone with credentials. That's something I'm aware of constantly. And I name constantly. It's, I know it's hard to talk to me about this. Um, how does it feel to talk to me about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, did, was that unexpected what I just said that I didn't tell you what to do immediately? Like, how does it feel to just hold space together? Something again, mm-hmm. not taught as a dietitian, even <laughs> in motivational interviewing to leave space for the answer is very different than just holding space. Those are two totally mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like wagging my finger, getting all passionate yeah. here because yeah. I'm, I'm just like right now, I think I'm realizing that there's a real denial of dietetics, um, getting letters, getting credentialed, becoming an expert, um, all of these things. 
and the importance of nervous system regulation and that people are just coping. Yeah. Um, and there is no expertise outside of their bodies that is really truly needed to be able to notice that distinction mm. or to normalize coping. Yeah. Um, or to make it really understandable in conversation when someone has a really tough week and they go back to quote unquote behaviors. If we're talking about eating disorders, for example, it's just normal. Life is hard. It's, yeah. It was extra mm -hmm. hard this week. It's a pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's hard all the time. Right. Relying on coping mechanisms that get you through till the next day is not something to fault ourselves for. It's something to hold space for. Right? It, it has to be able to expand. And so just thinking about biases and stigmas and all of these things, they're all shortcuts. I have actually never realized this until right now. And I will see if I agree with myself by the end. But I think that's what I'm just doing. Um, that it's a shortcut to get a credential versus just talking to people. Um, it's, a, it's a short, I know. I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, should I have been a coach this whole time? Because at least it wouldn't have been a shortcut. I could have just been talking to people this whole time. I, like, it's giving me, like, those kind of, like, good but bad chills. Like, I feel both. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> same, same. Like, doing what is expected of us in, like, a capitalist, colonialist way. Like, I am the expert. I have reached the top of my pyramid or my I'm at the highest tier or caste, if we were to look at some other cultures in the world. Like, whatever that would be. Like, actually, that always makes yoga come to mind, which you brought up earlier in the conversation, that it was originally made for the Brahmin caste in India, yes. the highest caste, who are naturally mm -hmm. slender. And, you know, the original yoga is like bending yourself into these, like, yeah. Yeah. like I'm going to make myself into a pretzel. I, I hope that did not sound insensitive. I just mean it's like really like, it reminds me of Buto dancing in East Asia, that it's like being animal-like instead of people-like when you're dancing. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not very person-like, the original way yes. that it was done. And, you know, and I've done a lot of unlearning about this, that there are people talking about yoga is dead. And also, how do we decolonize yoga? Susanna? Yes. Oh, man, I cannot remember her last name. I'm so sorry, I can't remember your name. I've done such important unlearning, um, just listening to them about who who is yoga made for in the past, like how it started, like how yeah. inherently privileged was it? Um, and therefore, because accommodating people in session comes with recognizing that we're not the expert in them. We don't know yes. what they need. They mm -hmm. know what they need. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to be embodied in the modern world. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. um, so they may not know what they need straight off the bat. Is that how that phrase goes? Anyway, like yes. from the beginning. Right off the bat, yeah. Some, yeah. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I, oh, I said straight off the bat. That's why. <laughs> I, <laughs> pretty good at saying a phrase almost right I'm pretty good at that um so sitting in a in in this kind of man I feel like I can go on and on about this forever but what I'm gonna yeah. <laughs> I think is it is a shortcut to say I am the best or I am the expert mm. or I have the moral high ground here or this was made for my body but accommodation like actually getting to know people and giving them what they need as support that they have determined through their agency autonomy and the space they have been given to have those things and practice them and be with them mm -hmm. um, is not something you can write in a textbook. Right. But all those things at the end of that inquiry are valid answers, mm -hmm. normal answers. Mm -hmm. um, and credentials get really narrow, narrowly focused and they get blinders on and like it's a, it's, 
it's just like the difference between the phrase food desert and food apartheid. Although yes. I say food apartheid carefully, I do understand apartheid, but I want to be careful in using that because it can feel like trying to combine two situations that aren't related. Yes. But mm -hmm. Here, what I really mean is the intentionality. The difference between desert and apartheid is the, the intentionality. Like a desert just exists. It's just an ecosystem. Like it's just there. But apartheid right. is people in power oppressing and marginalizing other people for their benefit. Yes. And so it feels very related here that people, it takes a lot to come out of that. And mm -hmm. that includes interrogating in ourselves what we want to let go of. It brings up things like, do I want to be a dietitian in this way forever? What really mm -hmm. resonates with me? Even do mm -hmm. I want to be an intuitive eating counselor forever? What resonates with me? That's the kind of stuff that comes up in these like really honest conversations. And I think I'm just sitting with now, what is actually fast tracking something that needs a lot of time? Yeah. And also that it's okay to just hold space and that returning to a space that's held with clients when conversation like a podcast are really important spaces to me. Yeah. Really circular and... Um, process driven very devotional to everyone getting to be a human being something yes. I don't think is considered enough um and one thing that's sitting on my mind right now something that always comes up <laughs> I said I was concluding but I just remembered something <laughs> I love it. um <laughs> is talking about isms and we haven't named some things here but always what comes up for me is ableism both about things that are seen and also unseen. People don't have mm -hmm. to disclose what's going on inside of themselves to everyone to be yeah. worthy of accommodation. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the fast track to something, like for the people who immediately benefit from the fast track, then white people, white men in power, um, the karaoke, the cis-heteronormative patriarchy, all these different things we could say. Yeah. Um, categories and labels that feel useful that were... I guess I'll just say, I really get that we're listening to the wrong people. Something mm -hmm. I'm learning in practice that I did not get in preparing to be in practice is I'm not the one who needs to be listened to. Like, I, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> and all the fast yeah. tracks are like, oh, look at me, look at me. Look how fast I did this. Look how quickly I became a billionaire because of my father's um, emerald mine, Elon Musk. <laughs> um, like, right, his mom is a dietitian. He comes to mind for me a lot, a lot. I think you say her name, Maya Musk, but it's not lost on me that even in the dietetics field, but people got here for a particular reason. I was able to live in my parents' house during my internship when I could not work because I had too much to do that I was paying for, like the other direction. <laughs> right. um, but that's not always accessible, but that's actually a shortcut because mm. I have the privilege to go at, be at home. Some people have to work a really long time for the same thing because they don't have shortcuts available, but their experience is so valuable and so and needed. It's yes. real. Mm -hmm. It's it's in reality, whereas shortcuts are not, right? They're rather in a vacuum. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, so that's where I'm sitting with that. I just gave myself like a hundred journal topics in my own answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm showing my journal and it's, it's like half full of notes. Like I just wrote and I have all these things I want to say and I'm going to try to narrow it down, but... Oh my God, that was such a good answer. That was, that was fun. That was really fun to explore, actually. Thank you for holding that space for me. Of I could feel you. I could feel you holding it. As I'm like furiously, again, or not furiously, pleasantly yeah. writing notes quickly. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> shit, I don't even know where to start. One thing that I did write down while you were talking about that is 
how do you navigate the biases and, st- and stigmas? The word that I wrote down like three times was non-compliance. So like when we write our clinical notes, when, you know, when I was coming up in group homes and whatnot, client is non-compliant as as the dense spy. And that is a huge way that our biases and stigmas come up. Our education teaches us that if they're not willing to do this, then they're non-compliant, that they are wrong in some way. Um, I think that the credentials are a shortcut thing. Like I'm like shaking in my boots. I'm not wearing boots, but you know, figuratively, today's all about uh, figurative language. Apparently, I'm shaking in my boots. I'm shaking about in that. my in my crop top and headphones. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, just thinking about that's that. That's what like, we're both wearing, just so people yes. know. It's like it's like our I'm gonna be nervous and sweaty outfit. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's my sweat, my sweat crop top, my sweaty crop top. Um, thinking about that, and I, I'm I'm sitting with this. Like, is this my own fear of not feeling like I can be heard when I'm thinking about letting go of my own credentials, or is it me thinking like I don't have an answer? Like, so we're listening to the wrong people. I absolutely agree with that. So the idea of not having my credentials, am I afraid of not being heard if I were to give them up? Or am I like thinking, well, thank goodness some people have credentials who are in the room who actually want to, you know, fuck some shit up, you know? Like there's a, I don't, Ooh. I'm feeling stretched in both ways, right? Like yeah. I'm grateful for people like basically all the people that we interviewed who have these credentials so they can get in there and get in the thick of it and have these things to say because they might not get the same platforms if they, I don't know. I'm just, just kind of playing mm. with that in my head. Um, something that you actually asked in the, in the group training that we were in yesterday, I think plays into what you were just talking about right now. Like you're asking, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase because I'm sure I have it wrong. Like I'm, I guess there's, I'm looking for the answer to what am I asking versus what am I not asking? And I think that's kind of that like trauma informed. And I think that's a yeah. way that we can, acknowledge the biases, acknowledge the stigmas, but also hold space for, like you said, hold space for the answer, not just holding space. Um, what do they need? What are they looking for? What is correct for them? Trauma-informed, I'm all about trauma-informed care, but I also feel like that's a buzzword sometimes too. So I'm just, I feel like I need to just go furiously right for the, <laughs> I'm gonna keep saying that for the next like four hours. One last note, I won't go over all of them, but you're saying that there's no such thing as doing no harm. The first time you told me that, I say that to myself all the time. So, because I, in my head, I thought that that was possible, but it's not possible. I can, but maybe my my change needs to be always repair when you can, always repair when you notice what's going on. And I think that's a really important way to keep ourselves on the hook, you know, in terms Ooh. of conversations about embodiment. Ooh, what <laughs> are we, what are we hooked by is such an important inquiry mm-hmm. that if we're hooked by being right being seen as the expert yes. um being valued for all the time and money and energy we spend on getting these credentials mm-hmm. in some sort of strange inauthentic validation loop we're going to be hooked by things that continue to cause significant harm correct we have to get mm-hmm. unhooked from them something i would tell a client like what what do we want to be hooked by um right. And when you're talking about clinical notes and um, non-compliant and lacking motivation is some things that a lot of dietetics, yeah. um, I mentioned also in our group training yesterday, like the counseling class that I was offered was applied behavior analysis, ABA, mm-hmm. which is incredibly harmful to autistic people 
to my former clients who, um, I say former just because I moved to a different place. I didn't fire them or anything. It's just, and it's also in a previous version of myself as a dietitian, um, where it's like, how can you manipulate yourself into doing this? Because you don't have motivation. Like, how can you manipulate yourself into being motivated? The answers are really simple. Like you need a break. Sounds like you need a break. But the Mm -hmm. answers in that modality are you do it because you have to and you deal with the consequences later. This is the hour where we deal with this like that. Those kinds of constraints on something. And also like, let's find a way to logically measure together how wrong what you're doing right now. And what happens in those is I was writing clinical notes at that time that I would never want my clients to see in in the environment that I was in. They're probably never going to see them. But I was just sitting with what you were saying that I think a really important way to be on the hook is that my clinical notes, which is how I write them now, is something I don't Mm -hmm. mind my client seeing. I'm not going to trigger my client. I have their permission to write these things and engage in this conversation. Um, And also sitting with the other thing that I wrote, like talking about credentials, you know, some of the conversations, not that they stick with me more than the others from this season, but that I really found surprising. And um, just uh, incredible are the things that were talked about outside of people's credentials, their own embodiment journeys, as well as people Mm. we talk to who don't have traditional credentials Mm -hmm. Um, and probably feel really left out of this kind of conversation usually because Mm -hmm. they don't. It's like a punch card. You get quick access to things. And I really love that we're exploring that you don't always need that. You can just be a person Mm -hmm. and have this conversation, but that's kind of what we're normalizing. Um, that's my like summary of our answers to these. I love that. That is very, very big in the room, heady questions that I asked of us. Um, but it feels. I was going to say very meaty because we always use that word. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It is very meaty. We love our food puns. We're noodling. It's very meaty. Yeah, I say those all the time. I apologize every time. I think I'm going to start saying, thank you for allowing my puns because I'm just not going to stop saying them. <laughs> I, love, I love them. I do too. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, speaking of food puns, let us, I'm sorry, that's so bad. Um, let us move <laughs> on to the next question. I'm sorry, I had to do it. And Okay. <laughs> I'm feeling goofy and punchy. Um, let's talk about uh, what your take is on intuitive eating and or health at every size. Where do you think they fall short? Ooh. Two things that I really love for my own embodiment journey are health at every size and intuitive eating, as well as a phrase like body image or body imaging before I really came to this term of embodiment and really thought about differences for myself. Um, there's such a change from the way things are normally done in both of our fields. Um, just talking mm-hmm. about people and bodies and, and health and access and all those things in general. Um, it, they're quite a departure. And something that was really pointed out um, in people we've referenced and people we've interviewed this season is that it all operates within the medical industrial complex as it currently exists. It's not outside of it. It's inside of it. Um, and we've already talked about that a lot, but there is, I think that's a really important thing to name because when we come in contact with people who are looking to us for um, conversation and holding space, 
um, if we seem like a disciple of either of these things, if we um, feel like we haven't unlearned that there's not only one answer, including titles like this, I mean, I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor and I do not feel like a disciple of intuitive eating. Maybe that's because that's just how my brain works now that I'm in a process of unlearning. And I did that while I was unlearning other things is actually how that training showed up for me. Um, is we, we are allowed to take what we need out of something. Mm-hmm. We're allowed to look at intuitive eating and say something like, this is a conversation I have quite often with clients. For example, the phrase honeymoon phase does not mm. resonate with my clients in larger bodies, in disabled bodies. Um, mm. Because how it's not a honeymoon to be in pain. It's not a honeymoon to be perceived while eating and trying to be free while doing it, but having everyone's moral mm. judgments on you. Yeah. Um, yeah. When it comes to habituation, taking one food and getting used to it, right? Having Letting our nervous systems adjust to it and regulate to that one food can also be linked with really orthorexic behaviors. It's a really Mm. fine line. Just eating one thing, only allowing one food into your house. I don't think they mean it so literally, but it tends to be taken really, really literally. Absolutely. Um, Right? It's supposed to be an avenue to something else. And also the connection with emotional eating, treating ourselves with kindness that they say now in intuitive eating, um, they change the way that they describe that particular principle. Also, to my recollection, the word trauma is not talked about in intuitive eating. I I don't think that either of the authors would shy away from that topic. In fact, I know they would not. And also the book written like for everyone to start taking the pieces for themselves that might work doesn't acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Um, The relationship between trauma and eating disorder, trauma and dieting, trauma and disordered eating, like trauma and any kind of label that we'd like to put there. Um, is so inherent in what's happening and the way we live our lives now and the way we're all treated, depending on the intersections of our different identities, um, to not say them and have them at the forefront of the conversation. Like in the year 2021, when we're recording this right now, feels it just does not resonate with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm really finding that naming those things is really important to my clients. Like just like on a mm-hmm. one-on-one level, because they're like, okay, Oh, okay, good, because it wasn't a honeymoon for me. I'm like, it just doesn't feel right, does it? A floodgate does open. Yes, you could perceive part of that as feeling like it matches what a honeymoon might feel like. But we don't just selectively let loose everything that's only in a positive direction, a warm direction. We let out these other things that have been Mm. suppressed in there too, right? Mm. Classical shadow work, like for dietitians, like it's called woo-woo, first of all. And there's also like, um, shadow work is our dark side, right? It's like the motivation, lazy stuff we were just talking about earlier when it's actually what's oppressed and suppressed in us, right? The things we yes. haven't touched yet, it's hiding in the shadow, but it's there. Um, mm. And we're allowed to have opinions about things that are hard. We're allowed to disagree with a book. We're allowed to disagree with people talking about the book from their own perspective, which is what it mm-hmm. is to be an intuitive eating counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a framework that I find I find really helpful for me. And I've also divested from some of it because I find it not helpful for me. I tend to be super honest about those parts because if someone really wants to go into them, I may not be the right person for that because I don't know if I can hold back my perspective, my bias. (laughs) I don't know if I could. I I think, especially my face, I can't do a poker (laughs) face. It would would never happen. Um, But if they'd like to explore what I might think and see how that feels for them, that would be fine. Um, But I did learn how to hold space through that training in a really special way. 
Um, and that's because of who the authors are. So I'm kind of sitting with, it's not perfect and you don't have to take on everything. I think I'm going to say something a little controversial here because it's really sitting with me. And I think it's really important to talk about this is that sometimes intuitive eating is described as a privilege. Mm. And in the next breath, intuitive eating is described as eating if we didn't have diet culture and purity culture and all these other things influencing us. So if it's a privilege and it's something that we should all have access to because it's just inherent in being a person, that's two different directions that this mm. goes in. So mm. one of those is true and one isn't, or like it's a lot more nuanced and that might be a better way of saying that. Um, or it's not both. Um, or or there's something else there, such as trauma, such as yeah. uh, individual perspectives and lives and the expert of being uh, being an expert in your own body and writing a modality like intuitive eating cannot acknowledge that, right? Even yeah. if it's trying to imitate what we do anyway. And that feels, it doesn't feel that controversial now that I said it, it just made sense to me. Um, but I, the first part, intuitive eating is a privilege. I couldn't quite understand why that really bothered me at first. And then I realized mm -hmm. it's because um, it's like saying that you can be, you can also be oppressed and marginalized through intuitive eating. It is heavily, heavily co-opted um, mm -hmm. as a weight loss diet, even though it is, it is. not. A lot of people mm -hmm. come to me for the first time that that's their belief and we have to really unpack that together. Mm -hmm. um, and the language in the book of putting weight loss on the back burner doesn't really resonate with my clients or myself in a larger body. Because yeah. the pressure to do that externally to us is going to be always present. So the it's always on. Yeah. It's just that fire's always lit. It's really hot mm -hmm. over there in that corner <laughs> of the stove. So it's yeah. hard to ignore, in other words. And I think all I'll really say, I think about health at every size, because it's a lot of the same things, actually. I mean, I was making it really related to intuitive eating. Um, but I think of a space beyond both of them, like touching on it, seeing what works. But some, I feel like, liberation is beyond that because the system has to change and we have to do it collectively and i'm really interested and focused i used to say the word justice here but justice is often after the fact and that doesn't feel very justice oriented to me mm -hmm. so it's like mm -hmm. how can we go somewhere else together is probably going to be uh taking from the inspirations of modalities like this and figuring out what generally works Mm -hmm. What works for one person in one moment doesn't work for someone else in another moment. And being super honest about that, straightforward, yeah. full disclosure. Mm -hmm. Those things say to me, we can't um, fail at it. And that feels, that feels important. Um, and in that kind of beyond space, you can still have critical thinking and you can think for yourself in a beyond space. If you're just like yeah. inside of intuitive eating all the time or inside of health at every size all the time you can't always think critically. So you're going to miss things and you're going to do more harm. So it feels yeah. really important to be like on the edge of it or beyond as much as mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. That feels important because again, mm -hmm. that book is not an expert on me or anyone else. And that book is all like the other book is not an expert on me or anyone yeah. else or even the system. Right. Right? The system right. is, and also people just are, there is no expertise mm -hmm. about that necessarily. So there's always going to be something that's missed in a book written for everyone or something mm -hmm. to address, something inside of the same system. I mean, I could go on forever, but I'm going to stop myself because I really am just going to go on forever. So <laughs> that's what I have to say for now. <laughs> um, no, that is, oh, that's such a great answer. I, huh. actually, I'm going to say one quick thing in response to what you just said, like intuitive eating is a privilege. And also it's something that everyone should have. So I guess when I, 
hear it, like those are kind of diametrically opposed, right? So maybe it's because it shouldn't be a privilege. It should just be what everyone deserves. So it kind of meets in the middle. I don't know. I'm just like, it's, it's a mm. I don't know. I'm just kind of playing with oh, it in my that, head. That resonates. That really yeah. resonates. Yeah. Yeah. The convergence. I saw yes, it. The convergence. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> melding. Um, I, I kind of feel like I was led into this whole arena through intuitive eating. I think I mentioned that in our, our own embodiment journey stories and it was a great start. I feel that way still. I feel like it gave me what I needed in the, in the moment. I just recently listened to the fourth edition and it's like, there's all these vignettes and, you know, things like that, which are a little bit more inclusive, not super inclusive, a little bit more inclusive. And then I swear there's like a two sentence thing where it's like, and there should be more social justice, the end. And that was kind of the end of it. And I was like, oh, 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 oh we're done. Okay. <laughs> we're done. That's the end of that. Um, so I appreciate this is a beginning place for me personally. And I, I think it's a great place to start. I feel the same way about health at every size. I feel like, you know, I, I came up as a social worker in the drug and alcohol recovery realm. So I find myself using 12 step language all the time. So like the idea of take what you need and leave the rest. And that's exactly how I feel mm. about intuitive eating and health at every size. I struggle with that because mm. I am very black and white. It is something we you and I have talked about. I work on the gray every single day of my life. So the idea of like taking little pieces is really hard for me, but I think that's the best way to do this for anybody. I think there's not enough focus on the grief that can come out of eating intuitively. The grief that can, and we've talked about this in all kinds of arenas that, you know, I've talked in, I believe, but like the grief of acknowledging, like going along with these two paradigms that there is a grief to it. There's the grief of, um, not buying into diet culture. There's the grief of the loss of relationship, like all of that stuff. I think there's not enough mental health um, and social components to either of them, honestly. Mm. Um, I think that health at every size goes a step beyond, which I appreciate for sure. I think I like what you said, the idea of going beyond those even more. I don't know what that looks like. And <laughs> no clue. I don't want to be the one that writes it. I just want to be like, yes, this is great. Because Lord knows yeah. I don't even know where I'd start. Um, <laughs> I was just editing the Tiana Dotson episode and something that she said is that neither of these books were written by people who live in fat bodies. And I wonder how that would look different if someone had wrote mm. this big paradigm that everybody talks about lived in a body and experienced weight stigma, experienced fat phobia, how that would change work, I guess, mm. is my question. Ooh, I just had another controversial shot. Do it. <laughs> I was actually like fast forwarding through two books in my mind as you were saying that Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison yes. and What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is what my brain does. I like fast forward and like, like look at all the snapshots I've made of these two. Yeah. They're both wonderfully radical beyond books, honestly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there is a distinct difference between them, specifically that Aubrey Gordon lives in a large yes. body. Yes, absolutely. Body. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just really sitting with that right now. And I'm like, wow, it'd be so interesting to look at them side by side, not just in this fast uh, forward, like glossing over look that I just did, but just really sit with that. Um, yeah. uh, kind of earlier, how you said, oh, you said this question yesterday about what am I listening for and what am I not listening for? I just realized mm -hmm. that like, 
I really know what I was listening for in anti-diet. It's like confirmation. And I really know what I was listening for in um, what we talk, don't talk about when we talk about fat, which is I'm looking, I'm, I know I need to unlearn. I know yeah. that I have some experiences of stigma and bias. Um, however, I am pretty privileged in these in areas mm-hmm. about bodies, like even in this moment right now. And like, I, I, it makes me want to read them both and look at them for both of those questions right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. wonderful books and also like think I actually didn't read them just to see what I would take out of them I did it mm. with every size and intuitive eating because they're like 101 books and it was much earlier right. in my experience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I'm just realizing that I need to read books for myself too I'm just like yes, sitting with yeah. that that in who needs to be listened to that I need to read books for myself not just to share with other people but for mm-hmm. myself I have no idea how to do that that's not really how my brain works when I read um <laughs> And it feels really uncomfortable to even say, I need to read books for me that are, that are like, not just like Outlander or some other yeah. like, <laughs> fantasy, fantasy time travel Sometimes books. we need those. Like, yeah. I need my murder. I love my cozy British murder mysteries. Like, you need those too. So that's okay. Like, that's yeah. Okay. And, you know, I'm really realizing how much harm self-help books have done to me in the past and how I've grasped yeah. onto them in the past and how challenging it has been to unhook yeah. Um, and so it feels like an important place to go because what I just said is really scary to me. So that feels, yeah. that feels really good. Yeah. I feel I like I interrupted that. you, but I was just jumping over you with enthusiasm. It's excitement. No, it's great. And I don't know where I was going. I lost it. And that's okay. <laughs> It'll probably come back. It's fine. Um, it's a great start. I think it has saved lives. I know that they have saved lives. I think there can be more. I just don't know exactly what that is and how to go about it. Mm. That's kind of where I am. Um, I'm reading Body Respect, and I think that I've heard that that's that's an, another step forward. I just don't have an answer for that. Mm, you know, <laughs> yeah. Lindo Bacon, the co-author yeah. of mm-hmm. Body Respect and the author of Health at Every Size, yeah. has said that they prefer that we read Body Respect so mm-hmm. that because they have evolved so much in their thinking yes. from the first mm-hmm. to the next. Um, that it's really what resonates with how they feel now. And I know that they've already made it, like they've already had some blog posts, I think it was, or medium articles where they've talked a little bit about body respect and how they're still evolving. So oh, it good. feels, yeah. we should be allowed to evolve. Books should be allowed to evolve Absolutely. and not just mm-hmm. line edits, right? Mm-hmm. Really evolve feels, yeah. feels important. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that very much. Thanks for pointing that out. That's a really important point. Yeah. Being allowed to evolve about that yes, is absolutely so important mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's that's where I am I don't have any I, I feel like more will pop up but I don't know what it looks like <laughs> I don't know what it's it totally looks fine like. um, it's kind of like the the look the lens of body positivity to body neutrality and body acceptance to body liberation body sovereignty like I've been playing with these words in my head I was thinking like I can't body body positive myself into fitting into an airplane seat. I can't, you know, like that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like body sovereignty has been really sitting with me, but I don't know if that plays enough into the liberation piece. So I don't, I don't know. I'm just kind of all of these things are kind of swimming around right now. That's, that's where I am right now. Yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I, I love how much space you're giving yourself to have time to think about it. Yeah. I always get that from you. The way you ask questions and the amount of space you give yourself to think about it. You do the same thing since you're like, if I weren't Thank talking you. to you right now, I probably wouldn't be doing <laughs> <laughs> Well, I love that we bring that out in each yeah. other. That's important to me. It is Shared important. values. That's important to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. 
Okay. <laughs> As I mentioned, we've talked about big and small picture perspectives in this entire season's conversation. Um, so Siobhan, what do you think we can all do to make a difference with what we've learned over the past nine episodes, if it feels helpful to summarize or anything that really resonates in that way? All these questions are so big and I love it. I... This is my talent asking a really big question. <laughs> <laughs> to make a difference, I think what first came to mind is keep asking questions, keep learning, keep unlearning, remaining open to changing your perspectives, changing the way you interact with people. I can't narrow down to a specific person that we talked to, but I think all of them in some way have said, like, take this with you in the way that you treat other people, in the way that you treat yourselves. Um, I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to keep learning, keep educating myself. I feel like, like you just said about the books have the right to evolve. It is so easy me like be like well I ran into the meeting 17 years ago oh my god that's probably true no it's not that old maybe 10 it really is I didn't read it that long ago yeah. <laughs> I know I didn't read it when I was in elementary but I definitely read it when I was in grad school I believe so I'd say at least 10 years ago it's so easy to I think this isn't any profession honestly to learn what you learn and stick with it and go with it but I feel very expansive toward continuing to educate myself um mm. I have very if you'd asked me shit, a year ago what embodiment looked like this wouldn't be the answer so um if you asked me what intuitive eating looked like five years ago or if I was eating intuitively you know like everything is evolving and I think that mm. this podcast has given me the space to continue to do that it's given me the space to continue having conversations with people in my life that I love about their bodies, the way they interact with food and weight and themselves and the world. That's where I find the biggest, the biggest space for continuing to make a difference. Yeah. Mm. What about you? What about you, I love that so much because I found myself getting really calm and grounded listening to you. Mm. Um, that um, we don't have to have just learn one thing and we don't have to only learn it for right now or unlearn mm -hmm. it for right now. Mm -hmm. um, that it's part of that devotion and practice we were talking about earlier, that it can be a process and there it's a journey. It doesn't have to be like a stopping point. I, it's kind of reminding me about our conversation we just had about intuitive eating and health at every size. Um, that I think no matter what the modality is, we are all in danger of causing a specific kind of harm, which is this is the one right way. Yes. And yes. what I'm really sitting with from this season is there is not just one right way. Like there's infinite ways, in fact. Um, they all have validity. Um, and there's something... I love one of my favorite things ever in conversation is a, some kind of assumption or expectation or attachment to those two things that I have not yet realized I have just like come crashing down in front of me, but like with no mm -hmm. notice. That's one mm -hmm. of my favorite, favorite, favorite things in conversation, particularly mm -hmm. podcasts. I love listening to that happen in where I'm like, oh, yeah. I share with everyone. I'm like, okay, yeah. it's a 33 yeah. minute and 41 yeah. second mark yeah. or whatever it is. Um, that's a random, that's a random number. Um, I but like at that moment, I want you to listen to that and tell me what you think. Cause it blew my mind. I don't know what to do now. Like everything feels different. Like these kinds of like transformation and epiphany kind of moments. Um, none of those actually happen without boundaries. 
Like care is about boundaries. Um, kindness is about boundaries. Niceness really lacks boundaries. I'm just really honest is like something I used to say. Mm-hmm. When it comes to mind. Um, but there is um, uh, divesting, dismantling the idea of expert, just period. Although I don't think we should go into the I'll be a thought leader now where we give ourselves a new label, but we don't have to do any work anymore. No, thank you. Right. Um, like, but like, we don't have to be an expert. We don't have to hold ourselves to that. There's so mm-hmm. much value um, in being unhooked from so many things that we, my voice is like cracking with passion, like so many things that we talked about <laughs> this season, which I feel um, I'm realizing that like, we're just scratching the surface of things and I'm so excited to like dig in a little bit. And I feel like yeah. we could do this for the rest of our lives and just not even dig that far because that's how like, far reaching and how many things it touches to like have mm. conversation and um, having this kind of conversation is a big difference maker yeah. just listening to yeah. things um, in really open conversation or being present in open conversation however people are feeling uh, mm. genuinely feels um, world expanding and I was talking about boundaries because um, even like a title, like embodiment for the rest of us is a boundary. Like, what are we talking about and around and through? Yeah. What are we listening mm-hmm. for? What are we not listening for? And all these things we kind of discuss. Um, feels important because I think we should be really kind. And the reason it was making me think of intuitive eating and health at every size is because it doesn't matter what the credentials are, how much I'm learning. If like the intention is to be the one who's correct. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. There's always an element of inauthenticity, I want to say, but that doesn't quite feel like the right word there. Um, but it's a real inability to unlearn because it's not fully in reality. Um, mm. And so something we can do is be honest with ourselves. I feel like as soon as I ever say something like that, the next thing I want to say, and be kind to ourselves. Don't don't um, invalidate our own boundaries. Like be actually yes. kind to ourselves. Mm. Um, uh, something my therapist would say is, uh, Jen, the world is not going to fucking end if you don't do all the things. Like, we don't have to do all the things in our exploration. We can just be in our exploration. Mm-hmm. Feels like a really important thing to say and and be around that it's not just something else to be busy doing. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to feel that sense of busyness about it. Ooh, yeah. That's what we talked about before. Yeah, human being versus human doing. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, oof, I got chills. Oh. Oof, that was yes. good. Yes. Dance for a second. Mm, 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 mm. Okay. Okay. Oh, is oh, this oh. our last question? It okay, is. Okay. It's okay. We'll be back. <laughs> also, we've been talking for a long time, and I don't know how much, so I'm also feeling it's probably good. That it's all- <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. Okay. <laughs> As we finish up this episode and season today, Jen, what would you like everyone listening to know about what you're up to? What direction do you see your career and or your work taking in the future? I'm really excited to know this because I don't actually know if I know. So tell me. Okay, I could talk for the same amount of time we already talked about this. So I will summarize myself in advance as best as I am capable of. Um, um, I'm interested in creating and holding literal space with people. This is probably like a post-pandemic reality and who knows when we'll actually be there but um, a fat affirming and fat positive space. Also queer and trans affirming, disability affirming, um, actually accessible and using the word from earlier, trauma sensitive or trauma informed. I don't know which one feels like the right term for me, but like something like that and a place to be in community. 
um, like an actual space feels really, really important. It's something I'm really getting out of this podcast is I have like a yearning for sh- continued shared space in an expansive yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Siobhan and I are part of a group in New Mexico who meets and shares with each other like virtually at this time. And I'm feeling a real yearning for being in the same room with those people too. Yeah. Also, and like I have a private practice. <laughs> it's really wonderfully full. Like it's just the right <laughs> amount of full for me. Um, and also like giving myself self space as I talked about earlier in this recording feels really important. Um, so I feeling a yearning for training other people even supervising yes. other people like I like Absolutely. I want to like I really feel like I should name those for myself I feel that and also bringing clinicians you know letters but people who feel like they can get unhooked and can unlearn mm-hmm. um to New Mexico because there is a serious need for people to be holding space for one another and yeah. also people who don't have credentials to hold space, whatever that might look like, I'm really going to start noodling that too. It doesn't have to be more dietitians. I want there to be um, options for people to get the support that they need. If that's outside the credentialing system, it's outside the credentialing system. And I also want that kind of space for myself, not just to hold it for other people, but like I want to be there to the place mm-hmm. I just described. Uh, and I love working with clients. So I'm definitely going to keep doing that. No matter what happens, there will always be some aspect of that because I adore it. I adore my clients. Uh, I see the direction of my career and the future being expansive. Um, I want to use the word inclusive here very carefully. I really feel strongly about that. But I mean really specifically in any way that I can manage that it does not also feel exclusive. That it's inclusive, but only for certain people. And what I mean by that is that I don't like there's not just one person deciding what that means, like such as me, that mm. there's more input than just my input. So inclusive of even in creation and expansion and what it might look like and dreaming together. I'm actually really interested in that part. That feels important. Oh. That's kind of where I'm sitting and more podcasting. There, <laughs> as I'm sitting here thinking like, I want to ask this question, like at the end of every season and I wonder what it's going to look like each yeah. time we have this conversation. How about you? I'm going to say it in a second, but right now I need to say I feel oh. really excited and really emotional about a lot of things that you just said. So I love the idea of you opening this fat affirming space for you and for other people. I think it's so necessary. I think that you would be an excellent supervisor and trainer. So if you do trainings and going to meetings with you, of course. And um, yeah, I just, I am so hopeful and already excited for the people who are going to work under you who don't even exist yet. Like they're just such, such they have so much goodness coming to work them. So I'm mm. so excited about that. And podcasting because I, I love this. So thank you. <laughs> with you, with you, yes. with you. I am closing my private practice. By the time this airs, I will have not seen a client for three months. So I'm really sad. (laughs) It's really bittersweet. It is time. I'm incredibly burnt out and I know it's time for me to stop, but I'm also really sad and I feel a bit at loose ends because I don't know what's next. I know I will continue this podcast as long as you, Jen, allow me to with you. Like I'm just going to hang on forever. Um, And yep, yep. And so when I think about what's next, and I've been playing noodling that, as you said, um, for the last month, probably, I had a dream years ago that's still kind of popping around in my head of opening a group mental health practice um, in which I 
I love the back end work. I love my clients, but like I could do billing and schedule, like I could do all that back end shit forever. And I love it of helping people, other clinicians start their private practices, maybe having a group practice in which they work, you know, with me before they branch out on their own. Um, I don't know. That kind of plays around. I thought about starting a second podcast. I have no idea what that is. So we're not even going to talk about that. <laughs> Maybe I'll have a second one by then, but I can't even imagine what it would be. But I love, I love the idea of opening up a space for other mental health clinicians to do the work of seeing clients and being supportive in that realm. I really enjoy supervision. I enjoy supporting other people doing the work. That's that's where I, I am. I feel a lot of joy. I don't know how that looks with two incredibly tiny children. So I just don't know how that works with the schedule, but we'll see. I don't know. I am feeling scared and sad about not knowing what's coming next, but also feeling really expensive at the same time. So we shall see. Yeah. Maybe next time I'm on here, I will have done something that helps other clinicians in the state because Mm. New Mexico means a lot. I think we both talked about this. New Mexico means a lot to me. I want it to continue to grow in a way that gives people access to mental health care um, that's not always available, especially by clinicians of color. Um, So that's really, I feel really, really passionate about that here. Um, And also queer and trans affirming, inclusive, 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 disability affirming, you know, all of that. Yeah. No clue what that looks like. Mm. and i realized i didn't name uh neurodivergence affirming yes yes. Mm -hmm. um, which involves more unlearning on my part i've lived almost 39 years without really looking at that um it's been left out of my disability affirming conversation Mm. in a lot of really significant ways i've realized and um a deeper look at that too um and as we were both talking about supervising I was just like wanted to affirm to both of us that I feel like we co-supervise each other all the time Um, and so it's really I felt really validated in realizing that so I wanted to share that with you but but that's That's how I feel like in my bones um which is which is amazing and just sitting with like the New Mexico part of this people who are listening like it's a really special place and a really community connected and oriented um population environment of clinicians of clients of everything and it feels like something worth expanding like absolutely Absolutely. worth expanding Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and making it more accessible even beyond insurance I'm not sure what that means either but that's on my mind um (laughs) and I told Siobhan earlier this is a dream that I have had since before I got my master public health degree is a kind of insurance that is affirming and actually covers things. And I have no idea how I would do that, but just like putting it out there and wanting to have any kind of conversation about it. Um, I found people in my public health degree who had that conversation, but our first Mm. look was really defeating for all of us because we were in a public (laughs) health policy class. It was really defeating. Like it was Mm. just not the right place to have that conversation for me, Um, but an expansive place would be. So that's something that's Mm. also um on my mind and it feels important to like have it recorded on this podcast so that I can like hold myself accountable and exploring that actually feels really important I have no idea what that would look like would I become like an insurance kingpin or whatever you'd call that like I don't even know that I don't I don't want to become another place that harms so that Mm -hmm. I can be called that like maybe it doesn't even Mm -hmm. need to be called insurance and I don't know why I call myself a kingpin um (laughs) I would never I I, I would Because then it's just so surprising. I was like, huh. <laughs> I didn't see that word coming. <laughs> I don't resonate with Kingpin at all. Like, that's not within me. Um, 
right. like you know like that's just a fear i think that i'm naming yeah. it's like i don't i don't want it to be the way that it's already being done yeah. so if we're not going to get universal health care you would be great at that <laughs> That's another conversation. Um, <laughs> it feels important that all the parts of humanity's brains being instinctive, being emotional, being cognitively aware and touch mm-hmm. and logical feels really important in exploring something that is so far left to be really technical. Like mm-hmm. what does it bring to it to consider it a creative endeavor, like creating something and also looking from a creative lens or a beyond kind of lens? What does that look like? I don't know. Yeah. Just yeah. sitting with it. Just, just sitting. I don't know. My mental health practice would also be better for me. I didn't say that. Sorry. But I just figured it was instinctual, but I just feel like I need to say it out loud. I don't know. I'm So next time we talk about this, I'm going to listen to this, write this all yeah. down and be like, where are you? What's your plan? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like this podcast has become the dictation of our ideas, which I think, like, as I'm captioning it, I can't wait for that part of it, actually. Yeah. That's I also need to say that I love you. And this season has been you. amazing. And I'm going to cry and I'm going to try not to, but actually crying is fine. If you need to cry, you should cry. But um, more than I could have ever dreamed that it would be, sincerely. Yes. And it's, I, oh, I, yes. I I had no idea where my career or where my life was taking me. And this is exactly where I need to be. And I'm so grateful for it. And so grateful for you, sincerely. Yes. And you know, um, you were talking in um, earlier episodes of this season about how this is what you feel like you should be doing. And this is where you feel like you should be. Um, and I've actually never had those thoughts about my own self in my life ever. And I just reflected to my therapist just last week that I actually feel that way right now. That I I feel exactly when, how, like all these other kind of things, like it all feels like a match, um, which Mm -hmm. tells me how authentic, um, how from myself and for myself this feels, like a real duality of the inner and outer things matching. Mm -hmm. The opposite of dissonant, it feels extremely congruent. Like the lines are just like parallel and flying along together, like our lines, the lines when a guest joins us and that's parallel. The conversation, I mean, uh, what it stirs in me, what it has led us to in terms of training already, like yeah. it's just like a really incredible experience. It's very affirming. Um, and in this process, I have learned and reflected to myself um, that I already am the person I hoped I would be and the oh, dietitian wow. I hoped I would be. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't really have an idea of what that might mean. I just knew that I wanted to be those things. So like yeah. feeling the embodiment of the like I'm these can sound like humble brags but what I mean is like I feel embodied in those things yeah. that I just said and that's because we're talking about we're talking the shit out of embodiment journeys and all right. these things like we're, we're, we're really going into it how can I help but interrogate these things in myself so yeah. of course this yeah. is where I should be and you should be mm-hmm. the person I'm having this conversation with and we should be holding space and I, the reason I hesitate or like take things back in this kind of conversation it feels so purity culture aligned that it like rubs me kind of the wrong way even in what I'm saying right but I get what you're saying (laughs) it's just the language I have for it is Mm -hmm. feeling that way but it's it's really sitting with me uh it's not just validating and it's not just affirming and it's not just inclusive of me I don't have a word for it it's something beyond that maybe this is what a little bit of liberation feels like Mm, um and maybe I've never felt that before yeah. Oh, that's gonna make me emotional. There you go. <laughs> the word that's coming up for me is settled. And normally I don't like mm. that word because it makes me think like I'm settling for whatever, but instead it's like, no, I'm settling into what feels right. And that is like I said, I'm scared and sad about what's coming next, but also like 
have no doubt that it's the right change for me. Like absolutely no doubt. And that is very, it feels very new. It feels very, it feels like such a gift. It feels like, I, like, wow. I, I, I can't imagine November 18th, I'll wake up and be like, I, I can do whatever I want with, with work. Like then I can just see what work looks like. I'm just, I'm so excited. I'm really excited. And it feels like I'm settling into rather than settling for settling into. So, yeah. yeah, like you said earlier, you're coming home to yourself and you're yes. also recognizing what home is within yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. Your clients have been lucky to have you. Oh, whew. they I've been lucky to have them. I've learned just as much, if not more, sincerely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Which is why it's so hard to say goodbye, but also really great. So <laughs> Um, I'm sitting in a feeling of I never want this to end right now, but like yeah. we're just gonna stop the recording and you're just gonna still right be right here with me, so that's fine. Right. <laughs> I'm also as I was sitting here thinking about the first episode we did, and like it was as loosely scripted as this one, but I still felt like I was like bunched up and like I couldn't like I was like like I'm like making robot moves right now, and like this one I'm just like we'll just kind of see what goes, and it just feels really cool. It just feels really comfortable and fun, and that's really yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The the fun, joy, um, like yes. those floodgates we were talking about earlier, sometimes we also only think of them as negative opening the floodgates. Mm-hmm. Like here comes the emotions I don't want to deal with. But what I've really sat with and realized is in those same things comes positive emotions and warm and genuine feeling emotions yes. that I also keep for mm-hmm. myself when I keep that dam or however we'd like to look at this analogy in front of between myself and myself. So I just... know. Yes. Ah! Yes. Ah! Okay. Okay. There's nothing else to say. Like we're done. And I'm just one of the like, keep just like screaming and screaming yeah, and looking at done. each we're other done. and <laughs> holding our faces. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been so much fun. We've yes. learned yes. and unlearned so much and we cannot wait for season two. Um, yes. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> thank you for listening. And we look forward to seeing you next season. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to season one of the Embodiment for the Rest of Us podcast. Episodes will be published every two weeks wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find the podcast at our website, embodimentfortherestofus.com, and follow us on social media on Twitter at Embodiment Us. And on Instagram at Embodiment for the Rest of Us. We look forward to being with you again next time in conversation. <laughs> <laughs>